Hello everyone, my name is Ed Kemp and welcome to the Speak Up podcast, the podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. The current COVID-19 environment has led to a number of challenges for organisations, including sustaining team alignment, stretched leadership teams and disengaged people. Speak provides CEOs with a tailored and proven approach to sustaining team engagement, encouraging tough conversations and empowering people to deliver outcomes and results. Regardless of the situation businesses face, identifying the critical issues, dealing with the elephants in the room and developing a go-forward plan must happen quickly and repeatedly to drive impactful outcomes. Our experience tells us that whilst embedding sustainable improvements in mindset, behaviours and capabilities is critical, it all starts with getting the team on the same page and engaged. Over the course of Series 1 of Speak Up, you'll hear from highly experienced leaders who will share their views on leadership and team alignment, their challenges, perspectives on what worked, how they've navigated COVID-19 and the cultural issues that inevitably get in the way of being on the same page and staying there. I hope is that these conversations will get you asking yourself one very simple question. Am I on the same page with my team? And if not, how can I help us get there? If you're not sure whether your team is aligned, getting curious is the first step. You can also reach out via our website, www.speak.com, to find out how we can help you and your team get on the same page and stay there to optimise performance. Today's guest on the Speak Up podcast is Jason Dispro, the Chief Executive Officer of Aon's Multinational Accounts Client Segment, which are made up of Aon's largest clients globally outside of the United States. He also has an additional role as the Chief Commercial Officer of Aon's Enterprise Client Strategy, servicing Aon's largest 500 client relationships worldwide. Jason has worked in the insurance industry for over 25 years and was appointed to his current role on the 1st of August 2017. Prior to this role, Jason performed a similar role across the Asia-Pacific region. He also held the role of Managing Director Aon Global and Corporate and was responsible for the leadership of Aon's large client business in Australia for three years. Jason's role is global, however he does it out of Aon's Brisbane office, which is achievable these days given what has happened through the COVID global pandemic and how business has moved to digitisation so quickly. Jason is also recognised as a leading risk financing expert. He's a regular speaker at professional association conferences regarding emerging risk trends, strategic risk management, risk financing and various general insurance issues. Good morning, Jason. It's great to see you and thanks for joining me on the Speak Up podcast today. Look, you've been in leadership roles at Aon for many years now and can you describe your leadership journey from budding mathematician and analytics entrepreneur to being one of the senior leaders at Aon and what is it that drives you and can you share with us a little bit about what's helped you succeed as a leader in a large global business? Yeah, thank you, Ed, and um, thanks for the opportunity to join you on your podcast uh, and to share some stories. Yes, you're right. I, I started off my career as a, as a mathematician and uh, had an interest in numbers and analytics and, uh, and worked for an international insurance broker as a mathematics graduate actually in Melbourne coming out of university and really had a, an interest and a passion for analytics and how information and data could be presented to help clients make more informed decisions and uh, as a result of that after four or five years working in a large global organization training in london for a period of time traveling to uh, different parts of the world to sort of learn my craft i had a real interest in whether we could monetize analytics in a way that clients would buy it as a separate service because it was previously integrated into our core offering as an insurance broker. And so I went out on my own with, uh, with another a gentleman um, who had founded a business and we created a risk consulting, risk financing um, independent uh, business um, that we subsequently sold to Aon 
um, four years after we commenced uh, after we commenced the journey. That was back in, believe it or not, de- December two thousand. So I've been with with Aon now for for twenty years, believe it or not. And they obviously had a real interest Aon uh, around data and analytics and risk analysis, which was the background I came from. And so. Um, I had an opportunity within this this large global organisation, which back in the, in, you know, around 2000, 2001, was really consolidating a number of major acquisitions that it had made around the world. And and as a result of that, um, they were keen for ideas and concepts. And, and back then, whilst Aon's head office was in Chicago, a lot of the strategy and a lot of the thought leadership would emanate out from the region. So... I was very, very lucky to be involved in a number of projects and a number of initiatives out of Australia, which, in fact, um, became adopted um, to some extent globally um, by Aon. So I really had the opportunity to to start to get a broader global perspective of how data and analytics and thought leadership could be used by clients to help them to make more informed decisions. And uh, and so since then, I've had many jobs at Aon, many, many different roles and uh, assignments within the organisation, starting in analytics, then going into sales in Australia, um, then doing the chief commercial officer role for the Australian business, then running uh, the largest business unit for Aon in Australia for a number of years, which was our large clients, which then gave me the opportunity to to move into a a multinational role, Ed, for uh, for Aon on a global basis. So um, it's been a a great journey and and I think, you know, probably the key to progression and success in a large global organisation has really just been probably linked back to a a curiosity around um, learning new skills, um, understanding how how those skills uh, can be relevant to clients and then really trying to leverage and scale best practice when we think we've produced something that could be useful for for a broader audience. So it's, it's been a great journey, Ed, and what's been great is I joined in as I said, December 2000, and uh, we had a new CEO who, who replaced the founder of Aon, the founder of Aon who started the business in the, I think, the late 60s, and he's still our CEO to this day. His name's Greg Case, and he has been our CEO now for, I think, almost 16 years. So having the same leadership over that period of time, uh, it has been great to really be able to continue to to scale and to share what I've been doing and, and to play a more broader role on a global stage. It's a really interesting answer. And I think the one thing that really resonates with me, Jason, is using data and analytics to help make better decisions. And if you think about what's occurred over the course of the last 18 months with respect to to COVID uh, and some information which you kindly sent me last night was this issue around how Aon has helped clients work through the, the crisis and you t- there's a model that is in this information which you sent, which is called React, Respond, Recover, and Reshape. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole model, but can you talk to me a little bit about how a business like Aon is working with its clients to help them actually make great decisions and how that might impact leaders of the businesses that you work with? Because clearly, this is not just a service that, that, that they're buying from you. You guys are doing way more than simply helping them with respect to managing risk. Yeah, absolutely, Ed. So um, I think you've, you've touched on a key point here is that, uh, you know, we've actually just launched um, a new branding message, actually. We call it the Aon Story. And uh, we, we, we've just gone through a, a process that we can talk about a little later, a potential merger with another global organisation. 
And as a result of that, we saw it as an opportunity to refresh our brand and our messaging. So our messaging now is all about shaping decisions for the better to protect and enrich the lives of people around the world. So that's our purpose and proposition as an organisation. But really the tagline is, Aon is in the business of better decisions. And what we mean by Aon is in the business of better decisions is as a an advisor, a trusted advisor that's helping with things like risk and people risk, retirement and investment, um, these sorts of different areas, health and benefits, uh, human capital solutions. Um, our role really is to be able to analyse risk across all those different areas of a business to help our clients to make more informed decisions. So we have a a very um, robust and well-invested data and analytics strategy that's been in play for over a decade now. Um, We call it the Aon Centre of Innovation and Analytics. And we have two hubs, one in Singapore and one in Dublin, where we try to uh, extract all of the information from our systems around the world our CRM systems and our our other processes and procedures. And we then try to use that data to effectively find specific areas or or points of thought leadership that would be useful to clients to help them to make more informed decisions. So back to your point around COVID, Ed, um, when COVID kicked off, you know, we were really seeing that our, our clients really needed a framework or a model around how they could work their way through uh, what we effectively, you know, called the, the COVID-19 crisis. And as you mentioned, we built this model called the 4R model, which was around re- reacting. So how can, how should a client of ours react to the situation they're in with COVID? Because everyone was in it. Um, the second element was how should they respond? Um, and then the third element was how should they recover? And then finally, how should they reshape? We originally drew it as a circular sort of um, framework yet, but the reality is it's very cyclical because as we go through multiple waves of COVID and now we deal with the Delta variant and different strains of the variant, what you're finding is it's certainly not a circular framework. Over a time series, it's actually very cyclical and you, you come in and out of situations of, you know, in some instances in countries, lockdown um, countries going into lockdown multiple times as we've seen in this part of the world. So that framework has been very helpful for our clients to really try to understand how they can manage their businesses uh, and the risks around them more effectively. So, you know, you know that, that piece of thought leadership around COVID has been a, a very sort of good guiding reference point for clients on, you know, what should they do and how can we help them? And that's the critical thing about leadership, which is all about making decisions. When people are leading teams and leading organisations, the people that they're leading hopefully are following them and they are looking to them for decisions to get things done. And if you think about what you're doing now, you're in a global role, you're based in Brisbane, Australia. So can you talk to me about how the work that you're doing with your clients actually helps you do what you do? Because you've got, as I understand it, a team of around 3,500 people dotted around the globe outside of the United States, and they have individuals who are running certain parts of the business from the geographical area. You're driving strategy from here. So what are some of the things that you do as a leader that actually resonates with the way that you've gone about advising clients to make better decisions? Yeah, thanks, Ed. I I think first and foremost, the, the key thing that we've done is really tried to listen to our clients. And so, you know, we call this the voice of the client. Um, We call this client insight where, 
we have a number of forums around the world that are set up to really listen carefully to the needs of our clients in forums uh, or in large groups. Um, so that's really important. Uh, and then furthermore, with our client relationships, we try to measure these on a, on a regular basis and get feedback from face-to-face interaction with the clients on, on the strength of our relationships and how we can be more relevant. So I think, you know, what's really inherent in our DNA is this desire to continually listen carefully to our clients so that we can help them to, uh, to continue to be successful. Uh, and as a result of that, that client feedback really then starts to drive our strategy. In the part of the business that I work in, which is the large client segment, uh, as you mentioned, you know, I'm responsible for our multinational client strategy around the world. So I have a, a co-CEO who runs the US and I run rest of what we call rest of world. And my co-CEO, uh, she and I have been working together for the last four years now um, as a global team. And what we've really tried to do is make sure that we listen carefully to the voice of our clients and we then filter that into new products and solutions that we, that, that we provide to clients but also, most importantly, that we are effectively modifying our strategy as we go. And in more recent times, we've launched, a, if you like, a, a, another chapter of this large client strategy, which is called Enterprise. So our multinational client segment around the world represents about 4,000 um, clients. And this enterprise strategy is focusing on what we call the top 500 of those clients. So a very, very focused strategy on understanding our clients' business strategies and then how we can be relevant in complementing them to achieve those strategies and those growth uh, those growth objectives. But it all comes back yeah, to listening to clients. You know, we've got a forum coming up next week in the US which is specifically on supply chain. So we'll have 30 to 40 of our largest clients in the US in what we call a client council forum. Um, we get them together regularly and we are going to workshop supply chain with them really just to understand all of the interconnectivities in the supply chain, because as we know right now during COVID, supply chain is a huge issue for organisations around the world. And we don't have all the answers because we've got a supplier supplying a multinational client uh, who's being supplied probably from another supplier who's being supplied from another supplier. So understanding that value chain all the way through the relationships and how you mitigate that risk becomes really important. So we're the first ones to put our hand up to say, we don't have all of the answers, but let's try and co-create something with our clients. And so this concept of co-creation where we will work with each other to try and solve business problems is really where we see a lot of our future energy and activities focusing on trying to solve for challenges that haven't been previously uh, solved for, Ed. So so that's a lot of fun, but it all comes back to, you know, really listening to the voice of the client. And that comes from the top, from Greg Case, our CEO. His well-known mantra that he's played for the last 15, 16 years is, if you can't help a client, help a colleague, help a client which really then just drives this client-first mentality that we really try to, uh, to pride ourselves on, Ed. So, um, so you're doing it from Brisbane's uh, interesting. I've, I've obviously, uh, I'm based in Queensland, but I've only been here for the last 11 months. I, I spent the last four years in London, which was a great experience. But, um, but moving back to, to get a, a young teenager to an Aussie high school was important. And I was very fortunate that, uh, that now we can actually you know, we can do these roles from different parts of the world. So I'm not the only Australian executive that's doing a global role from this part of the world now. There are many 
And that's the beauty, the beauty of digitalisation and the fact that people have accepted that you don't always have to be on aeroplanes in this day and age, and we've proven that with COVID, that we can be more effective and we can be kinder to the climate as well and the environment by um, being able to do that. And Jason, do you think just on that from a travel perspective, do you think that you'll spend much more time on the ground in Brisbane doing the role essentially from Zoom, I suspect, and, and other forms of VC, as opposed to jumping on planes? And, and actually, as a leader in a, in a large global business, do you think that that is going to become more of the norm just broadly with respect to business leadership and the fact that people can actually operate businesses from all over the world and they don't actually have to be in the same location to be able to do it and be effective? Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's a great question. Look, I, I'm an executive that, you know, for almost 30 years I've done intensive travel all around the world. You know, like in an average year, I would probably do 150 flights uh, a year and probably do, you know, between 100 to 150 nights a year in hotel rooms, which is no fun for anyone, but that's just the way it was. And we used to hop on planes and move around and, you know, be in front of clients, which was important. What really opened our eyes with COVID was the fact that there was a better way to do this because we had no choice, and that was through, you know, basically through digitalisation. And I think everyone rotated really quickly on this. Uh, most major organisations were up and running very quickly to be able to do it. We don't call it the new normal. We refer to this whole concept as the new better. And I'll give you an example. We run a thought leadership forum around the world called the Aon Insight Series, and we're in the middle of it now. So it's four events in um, uh, Australia, in London, in Singapore, and in Sao Paulo in Latin America out of Brazil. And we just did the LATAM uh, event this week. We used to get maybe 300 to 400 clients Ed, to each of those events. So call it 1,500 to 2,000 clients across all of those four events around the world in a, in a pre-COVID world. Now, um, through digitalisation and using a, a digital platform to run our events, where I'm running some of these events from Brisbane as the MC or running sessions, um, which is all done digitally, last year, the first time we ran it, we got 6,000 clients. So that's a factor of almost four times what we were previously getting. So I'm not saying that we're all going to live in a digital world behind uh, WebEx or Zoom or Microsoft Teams, but I think the hybrid moving forward, um, or what we call the new better, is going to be a combination of both. And I think, for, particularly for internal purposes, we'll think a lot more carefully about how we can do things as teams digitally around the world to accelerate our culture and our, our client-first mentality in a way that enables us to not always be travelling. And, you know, we spend more time with our families and it's better for our, our well-being. But most importantly, in this day and age, it's better for the environment and for, you know, Aon's carbon footprint as well, Ed. So it's been a fascinating moment in time, this whole COVID experience, to see where where organisations are now going to go. And I, I don't think we'll ever return to that previous mode where we were just continuously travelling and and uh, and moving around the world. And I, I'm, from a personal perspective, I look forward to that because um, you're happier, you're healthier, you're spending more time with your family and, uh, you know, you're in a good climate if you happen to be living in Brisbane, Australia as well. Well, I, <laughs> I, I suspect it certainly beats London in the middle of winter, that's for sure. And, and I think, you know, the one thing that COVID has brought up is this whole issue of connection and the fact that businesses and offices around the world are such a significant part of people's lives and that's a great social connector for people. So they come to work not only to do their work but they get 
to be around their colleagues and some of those colleagues become friends and all and all the things that go with personal relationships when it's face to face. I read about Aon United and which as I understand it is basically a cultural idea designed to bring the firm together. And so if you think about what's happened over the last 18 months, people haven't been together. So can you talk a little bit about what Aon United is, and I see you're wearing a Manchester United shirt as we speak, and how that has helped Aon stay together and be aligned on all the things that the business needs to do, knowing that people aren't in the same room very often at the moment. Yeah, sure, Ed, absolutely. So a little bit of a story behind Aon United because it is linked to Manchester United, as you say. So, you know, 10 years ago, we commenced a relationship with Manchester United, and it really, at the time, I was in New York at the time for a chief commercial officer meeting when the news broke that we were going to sponsor Man U and we had the shirt rights to the game shirt. And what we didn't realise back then, we all thought that it would be a branding play to raise awareness around the world of our external-facing brand. But... It probably did more for us internally than externally, believe it or not. You know, so we we used to run internal competitions around this whole Aon United concept. Um, you know, te- running teams to to run specific competitions and activities, which was good. We had this concept called Pass the Ball around the world, where we would pass a signed Man United ball from country to country, and you know, and put some great stories around that, and go into communities where we were effectively passing it on, was what we called it. So what really happened was as a result of Manchester United uh, and this concept that, you know, Man United is a team of excellence, you know, trying to strive for perfection. Um, In more recent times, they haven't been as successful as they would have liked, but uh, 10 years ago, they were coming off an amazing run. And so we really tried to mirror and understand and learn from some of those winning traits. And that's really where Aon United was born, which was you know, working as a team and working seamlessly across the world as one business. Because as I mentioned, previously Aon had been the consolidation of many, many businesses around the world, many networks that existed in countries, and it was it was put together by our founder, Pat Ryan. And so we needed some sort of cultural overlay to make everyone feel as one organisation. Ironically, the, the name Aon is actually Gaelic, and it stands for oneness and unity. And so, ironically, um, the meaning behind our name and where we were trying to head as an organisation were very, very closely linked. And so we used that Man United sponsorship to effectively launch the concept of Aon United. We then simplified our brand, Ed. We had three separate brands, a reinsurance brand, a people risk brand and a, and a broking brand, and we called it Aon. So we called it one brand. And then we went on this journey, Ed, which was fascinating, which was all about leading Aon United. So as we transformed the organisation into a single brand with a single purpose, how did our leaders need to behave? And in order to be able to do this, we put 3,000 of our most senior leaders through what we call a leading Aon United training course, which focused on a lot of the fundamental elements that are required to be a true global business. And a lot of it, Ed, believe it or not, came down to trust amongst colleagues around the world to work together, getting to know each other, and then most importantly, working together on common projects for clients so that we could build that trust and we could we could build that momentum. And so if you ask us now, you know, what is one of the key differentiators of our organisation? 
as a global firm. It's the concept of Aon United. We work together. And, um, you know, when we reach out for help or guidance or assistance, it enables us, um, the concept of Aon United enables us to work as one team. It's fascinating, the whole concept, because it's such a massive business. I think 55,000-odd people around the world. So getting them all aligned and on the same page, uh, singing from the same song sheet, if you like, is extraordinarily difficult. And in your experience, Jason, working with such a large business for such an extended period of time now, can you talk to me a little bit about the importance that you place and the business places on alignment, everyone being on the same page and ensuring that they stay there? Because being aligned is one thing, staying aligned is a whole other matter because it's not static. It's something that needs to be continuously worked on to ensure people are on the same page and stay there in order to do the things that they need to do and from an Aon perspective, work with your clients. Yes, Ed, that's no, a good question. So alignment for a global organisation is always challenging and obviously it needs to stay start at the top. And as I mentioned, that's where we've been fortunate to have the same CEO and same CFO over the last you know, 15, 16 years. Uh, and their sound bites, their messages have been remarkably consistent over that time period where it hasn't, things haven't really changed much in terms of our focus on clients. But the key message is around Aon United and working together and then also recognising and rewarding our people for the right Aon United behaviours. And what's really interesting, Ed, is as we launched this whole concept of Aon United many years ago, it's interesting to note now that a lot of the people that were with us back then are no longer with us and that we had to change the team. We had to bring different different people into the team. We had to, to uh, effectively change our talent, enhance our talent, refresh our talent. But the messages have been remarkably the same over that period of time. And I think it's that consistency of message that becomes, you know, really important. And I think it's the values of an organisation as well, Ed, that sit underneath everything that really matter the most. And our, our values are really simple. Um, you know, they say it's easier to remember things in threes and our value and who we are as colleagues uh, is pretty simple. It's three things. Number one, uh, it's being committed as one firm to our purpose. Number two, it's being united through trust as one inclusive and diverse team. And number three, it's being passionate about making our colleagues and clients successful. So at the end of the day, our values are committed, united and passionate. And that really results in being in being one firm. So I think getting those messages right globally to align is is really really important, Ed. And we we you know, we're not perfect, but we really do try to make sure we cascade that consistency of message through our organisation. And the whole alignment piece, and you mentioned before that clearly it sounds like a few a few people had to get off the bus when it came to moving the business the way that the organisation wanted to head. One of the things which leaders have to deal with is managing and having difficult conversations. And there's plenty of research around with respect to Brené Brown's Dare to Lead around the fact that the two top organisational and cultural roadblocks are avoiding tough conversations and avoiding fears and feelings. And if you think about having tough conversations, I'm sure over the course of your career at Aon as a leader, you've had to have a few tough conversations with people. So what are the things that you draw on as a leader and as an individual when it comes to having those sorts of conversations in a way that's going to ensure that the person who is on the, if you like, the receiving end has a clear understanding of of what's going on, but at the same time, you sticking to your guns 
but doing it in a way that, that works for both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think most importantly, really the key there, Ed, is, is giving feedback consistently and regularly to people so that, you know, a tough conversation isn't something that ha- happens at the end of the year, you know, when you're going through a person's performance, but you're giving them continual feedback all the way through the, the course of the year. And, you know, one thing I try to pride myself on is those people who work closer with me, I try to give them continual feedback. I try to give them encouragement if they're doing well. At the same time, though, I try to point out where we could be better or where we could improve if I feel that, you know, there, there's something that's not quite right. So, you know, in this day and age, particularly dealing with the Generation Z or the Millennials, um, you're really in a situation where they're demanding regular feedback and they're wanting that regular feedback as well. So I think our feedback models have changed where feedback now is becoming um, continuous. But I also think, Ed, openness and transparency is, is just really important. It's important for your team to know where they stand and and if there's a sense of urgency required on an initiative, you know, we've got to make that known to our people, to our staff. So we often refer to these types of conversations as um, courageous conversations because it does take courage. And, uh, you know, I, I think courageous, courageous conversations are difficult, they're uncomfortable, they cause anxiety, even more difficult in COVID where, you know, we have to communicate via WebEx or via Zoom or Teams. Um, but we found ways to, to be able to do that. So it's certainly not easy yet. I think the one thing that causes anxiety for me is I'm really lucky I've been with the organisation for 20 years and I know a lot of the people, I know a lot of the players which is helpful during COVID where you've already built those established trusted relationships. I really feel for our younger generation that are coming through, like we've now had two cycles of graduates that in some instances have never been into an office yet or they're just about to start to go into an office. So the way we've tried to get them involved through graduate programs or through projects where they can work together, it's been astonishing to watch how these have worked. And we found ways to do it, even during COVID. So um, really, really interesting uh, period of time there. But um, tough conversations are never easy, but we've all got to have them, I'm afraid. And as I said, giving feedback early is probably the key. Anxiety, you hit on that. And, and I think for everybody out there, there's always anxiety on both sides of the fence. It's the person delivering and the person receiving. And I think from that perspective, that's really important. And anxiety brings me to Another conversation, just very briefly, I'd love to have, and that is about the merger between Aon and WTW, Willis Towers Watson, which ended up not proceeding. And I read in the annual report of Aon from 2020 that that was, you know, that was a big part of of what was likely to happen moving forward with the business. So, can you tell me just very briefly how that impacted the workforce and the fact that that decision by the regulator in the United States was made during COVID? And so how did you as a leader work with your team who may have been a bit downhearted or disappointed in order to get them refocused on the game and get them moving forward again? So what's really interesting is, you know, that that merger we actually announced the day COVID, I think, was originally announced as a global pandemic. So we worked through the whole pandemic working on this merger. It was very exciting bringing these two firms together, um, both with great history and track record and great people and great capability. We were excited about it, Ed, but, you know, for whatever reason, the merger was uh, not meant to be when, you know, you can't get regulatory approval in, you know, one critical or key geography. And so the decision was made to um, respectfully part and uh, move away from the merger plans, you know, almost in excess of 18 months after it started. And, you know, to be honest, 
One thing that that merger activity taught us is we learnt a lot about ourselves. We learnt a lot about our, ourselves as an organisation. We got to realise the benefit of Aon United and a lot of the strategies that we built previously. So the whole experience gave us an opportunity to reflect and say, well, without this merger, there are still many other avenues and ways we can continue to be successful and continue to grow. And as a result of that, uh, I think, you know, we put a very positive light on the unfortunate outcome, but at the same time saying, hey, this is now an opportunity to refocus and double down on the things that we were doing really well previously, which is around things like, you know, client first, listening to the voice of the client, really focusing on the power of Aon United and bringing the best of our capabilities to our clients. So, yeah, obviously there's an element of refocusing with teams that were heavily focused on the integration, uh, but we, we feel that, you know, we've repositioned well and uh, we're excited about the future, Ed, and what it holds for Aon as an organisation. Now, we're going to change tack for a second and change gears because one of the things that I ask all of our questions, and we're going to be wrapping up shortly, I know you've got some other things that you need to do. What are you reading? What are you listening to? And what are you watching? Yes. Okay, great, great. So what am I reading? Well, um, interestingly, I, I've just finished reading a book called A Runner's High by a, an ultramarathon runner called Dean Karnatsis out of the US. And uh, it's actually titled Older, Wiser, Slower, Stronger, A Runner's High. So I can relate to that as a 50-year-old Ed that's done quite a few marathons. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was really good to read this guy's story. I think he ran 50, 52 marathons in 52 days, I think, across every state of America continuously uh, a few years back. So a very fascinating individual. So that's a good book. I've enjoyed reading that. In terms of what I'm listening to, my son's a keen soccer player, and uh, as you probably know, the, the French team won the European Cup uh, recently, and there was a song that um, went viral on uh, on TikTok recently, um, but it was the, the European win was uh, a, a little while back, but this, this TikTok stuff has just gone viral again and again and again, which is quite fascinating, and it's basically uh, a rapper called Veggie Dream that's um, singing this song about all of the players in the French team and thanking them all and yeah, highlighting their strong points and then thanking the coach. And it's really wonderful. So check it out on uh, YouTube. Just just type in French European Cup Veggie Dream. I think you'll like that. It's a very, very catchy tune, Ed, but when I'm not listening to, um, to that sort of stuff, I, I, I like listening to some of the classic stuff. You know, a bit of Elton John, uh, a bit of Sting, of course, and, and some other music like Jamiroquai and others. Um, in terms of what I'm watching, I think everyone's had a Netflix favourite over the last, uh, you know, two years with what's happened with the pandemic. I think I'd be very surprised if there aren't too many people that haven't watched Squid Games or at least some part of Squid Games, which now obviously are coming out of South Korea is a global sensation. So we just finished watching that and... Um, my wife's got me drawn into some of these Scandinavian thrillers. So you may have heard of The Bridge. Yes. Uh, and then there's also a, another one out called The Chestnut Man. So um, really good good Scandinavian thrillers with a few subtitles that can help you, uh, I guess, relax in the evening after you're trying to wind down from work. So that, they're the sort of things I'm reading, reading, uh, listening to and, and watching, Ed. So hopefully a different different spin on a few things there. So, listeners, you've got a couple of things to research after this podcast. Now, Jason, let's talk a little quickly about leadership as you see it. So, can you describe what you consider to be the biggest challenges leaders face today and do you think leaders are equipped to manage through these challenges? 
Yes, absolutely. So I think the greatest challenge all leaders are facing is the speed of change in which we're, we're moving. It's just they're evolving at such a rapid pace. You know, a lot of people would have never dreamed of seeing digitalisation move at the rate it has since COVID has occurred. You know, a lot of people didn't think it was possible to be able to produce a global vaccine and deploy that to help with managing a global pandemic, you know, in the speed that these these vaccines have been released. So, and as you look around the business world, the speed in which things are, are starting to occur is rapid. I think the major change and challenge that is coming over the next 30 years is the energy transition from brown to green. And this is going to impact the entire world. Um, you can see with COP26 happening this uh, week in Glasgow that there is a huge amount of focus and emphasis on this, and rightly so, Ed. And having worked in Europe the last four years and having worked with a lot of Scandinavian clients who are really right at the front of, of some of these changes, it's great to see some of this filtering through to Australia, but it needs to happen more quickly. And this is where, you know, when you see leaders like Andrew Forrest out there, you know, really trying to promote the benefits of green energy like hydrogen, it's great to see. You know, he obviously needs to offset uh, quite a bit of brown energy, so rightly so. He's come up with a strategy which is commendable. But I think the real challenge we're going to have is this energy transition heading into the next 20 to 30 to 40 years. And we know in terms of dealing with risk as a, as a risk consultant, that global warming, two to three degrees, is going to have a massive impact in the next 30 years on organisations, um, business operations, on their assets. Natural catastrophes will increase with frequency, which will create even more disruption unless we make a change around trying to stop this global warming. So I, I think you'll see a massive deployment of talent, redeployment of talent into this green energy sector as well, which will be really interesting to see. And I think, you know, also watch for the mass migration occurring again in this part of the world to get the right talent here to help our, our country to move from what is largely a, a heavily reliant brown energy base to try and transition to green over the next 20 to 30 years, Ed. Well, look, I mean, you know, we've both got children and the simple fact of the matter is if, if for anything else I look at that and what you've said is completely correct and it's really for the benefits of the generations that are going to come after us. Jason, you've been incredibly generous with your time. To wrap up, can you talk about your experiences? So when you reflect on your experiences, can you tell me what you've learned about leadership and what you've learned about alignment and what did you wish you knew then when you were starting out your career that you know now? So I think first and foremost, Ed, what I've learned about leadership is, geez, it's tough. It's not easy. It's always constantly demanding and challenging. But the, the key thing I've learned about leadership is is to just really try to find as many different experiences as you can that make you a better and more effective leader. If that's working in other parts of the world, uh, I think that's hugely beneficial. Working in different parts of the business you're in or in different projects, I think, is really a critical. Uh, I think the other key message that I would really give around alignment is making sure with your business that you've got a core set of messages that are really well understood. You know, today I've talked about the Aon story. Aon's in the business of better decisions. I've talked about Aon United, the DNA, the cultural DNA that tries to unify us as a firm. And then I've talked about our values, committed, united and passionate. So, um, you know, that's how we're trying to align globally. And I think it, alignment comes down to simple messaging that you continually reinforce. And one of the key sayings I have is, Tell them what you've told them and then tell them again. And I think that's really important to successfully drive alignment. 
The final tip I'd give to answer the last part of your question, Ed, around around leadership is if I had my time again, I would have tried to have managed larger groups of people much earlier in my career. I think where I've learned the most in my career as a leader is in trying to manage and lead people, large groups of people. And if I had my time again, coming from a very deep technical sort of subject matter expert background, uh, I would have probably pushed into that leadership uh, role as, as early as I possibly could have. So, you know, I think once you embrace leadership and you challenge yourself in managing and leading people, it's it's a marvellous journey to explore and, and to learn as you go. And I've still got lots to learn, Ed, that's for sure. <laughs> Jason, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, we look forward to catching up soon. Great. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode six of the Speak Up podcast, a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. Speak supports CEOs and their teams to optimise leadership and performance with a tailored and proven approach that builds trust and delivers outcomes. To find out more, visit www.speak.com, spelled S-P-I-I-Q-U-E. Please keep an ear out for the next episode of the Speak Up podcast and please subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe and stay curious.